Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, the first edition of the 2021 regular season, the first recap of the season. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me is my co-host, Josh Dooley. We've got a lot to talk about today, coming off of Ohio State's 45-31 to win over Minnesota in their season opener on Thursday night. Uh, we are recording this Friday morning. Kind of had some time to recollect our thoughts after the game and break down what we saw from the Buckeyes. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, there was some good, there was some bad. There was, you know, there's a lot, lot there, um, a lot that we've learned, a lot that we may not have learned yet. But you know, overall, I think it was, it was a good test for Ohio State. I thought that, you know, while there was a lot of overreaction on social media and all that, that wonderful stuff, I think it was an, an okay win for Ohio State and one that they could build on. Uh, Josh, what were your just overall thoughts on the game and how are you feeling coming off of that, that first win of the year? I'm feeling great. You know, in the moment, uh, you know, I, I, I may have had my doubts. Uh, um, sometimes the sky is falling uh, sort of guy. But generally, I feel good about the victory. You know, we went on the road against a quality opponent. And I think the good far outweighed the bad. We knew that there were going to be growing pains week one, and we saw plenty of those. But I felt like the team hung in there. And then we'll get into it later, but I think that there were certain parts of of the operation, I guess you could call it, that really performed better than I think they get credit for. So I definitely want to get into that and when we break down units and whatnot, but I feel great about the win. It it counts. It was in a packed stadium, which was awesome. It's a Big Ten victory. And you and I talked about it in, in previous weeks. I felt that it was going to be a real challenge. It was. But the Buckeyes came out on top, and now they're ready to uh, get ready for Oregon. Yeah, I think the game played out like pretty much exactly how I expected. I think I said last week in our preview that Ohio State would be in a close one at halftime, potentially even losing, and then the talent would just you know take over in the second half, and they would pull away, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. And you brought up growing pain, so I think a good part for us to start out just along that vein is with C.J. Stroud in his first ever start. Uh, He finished the game 13 of 22 with 294 yards passing with four touchdowns and the one pick. And, you know, the stats don't really tell the whole story of how things went. I think, you know, in the first half, a lot of people were genuinely concerned that he he might not be the guy. Um, He had a couple overthrows, especially on the deep balls. He obviously had the pick that was on a pretty 
poorly thrown ball to Chris Olave. It was, it was way behind him. He didn't really have a chance to catch it, and it kind of floated off his fingertips into the safety's hand. Um, so that was unfortunate. But yeah, he, he was he definitely was shaky coming in there in that first half. And like we said, you know, this was on the road in front of his first ever crowd, as there were no crowds last year in his first season with Ohio State, even though he didn't throw a pass last year. He still didn't even get to witness a, a Big Ten crowd on the road, or even at home for that matter. So definitely a lot to take in. It was also raining. It wasn't perfect weather. But these are things you have to deal with with a quarterback. So it's a lot of good challenges for him to get early on. And then, you know, I thought they came out in the second half. He was really, really good. I actually happened to just, you know, rewatch a little of the game before we came on here. And watching some of his throws on the touchdowns, while a lot of them were like run after the catch stuff, he did have some really, really good throws. The, the first touchdown to Olave was off his back foot on a dime on like a 30 to 40 yard pass. They hit him in stride. Same thing with the Garrett Wilson catch over the middle where he was wide open, but he hit him perfectly in the breadbasket on a really nice throw. And then the last throw to Chris Olave on that other long touchdown, he also had a pretty nice dime with a guy in his face um, to the sideline, and then Chris Olave obviously did the rest. But I thought overall... You know, there was a lot to like from C.J. Stroud. He obviously looked like a young quarterback. He looked like a guy that was making his first start. But I think that's to be expected. You know, I wrote in my piece after the game, you know, not everyone is going to be Justin Fields right from game one, you know, especially in a game like this against a a good opponent. You know, uh, Minnesota had a lot of returning guys on defense. There's a lot of experience back there on the road. So I thought it was a lot, really good for C.J. Stroud. He never really looked rattled. You know, he came out there, he trusted his arm. I really liked that Ryan Day continued to take the shots in the second half and trust his quarterback and really show that they they trust him and that they, they know that he's the guy and they didn't waver on him at all. So I thought it was really good. You know, I think that C.J. Stroud learned a lot in that game. I think there's a lot he could, he could build on from there. And I, I'm pretty confident in Stroud moving forward. I don't think we're ready to to jump ship right yet. I don't think that the people saying that we should uh, fly in Quinn Ewers at half were, were quite on par, but <laughs> I thought overall it was a pretty good game for C.J. Stroud and one that he could definitely, he made enough mistakes where he could learn from and not enough where it cost Ohio State the game. So I thought overall he had a, a pretty good performance for his first ever start. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you on that. It was it was a first game for an, a very inexperienced college quarterback, and we've been spoiled in the past You know, Justin Fields came in and he lit it up right away. Dwayne Haskins came in and he lit it up right away. But if you look at, if you sort of compare all of those guys, you know, Justin Fields did get some experience at Georgia. I think he played in an SEC championship game, right? I I remember him kind of being on the field in certain packages um, late in the season for Georgia. Dwayne Haskins had come in the previous year and got some minutes, especially against Michigan. So those guys had played before. They had some experience and actually had it in big games in front of crowds. Like you said, CJ Stroud had none of that. He had a year and a half in the program or about a year and a half in the program, but it was practice. It was walkthroughs. It was empty stadiums. It was all that jazz. So, you know, he really was kind of thrown into the fire, if you will. And this was a a heck of a challenge, I think, for somebody making their first collegiate start and really seeing their first collegiate minutes and in, in any sort of game that mattered. So, you know, I, I don't know if we know exactly what CJ Stroud is going to be. Uh, you can't really base that off of one game. He definitely concerned me a little bit in the first half, but I think you have to chalk that up to nerves. He's been uh, touted as this, this really accurate quarterback. And what we saw in the first half was almost the antithesis of that uh, after the first drive or so he looked good and then kind of fell into a lull that that Olave interception was just bad. It was a bad throw to a wide open receiver. And I think that was the play where 
Olave's coming across the field. Stroud throws it behind him, but on the other, like on the side of the field that Olave was running towards, I think it was Garrett Wilson is just like wide open, like past him and on the sideline. So he's definitely got a lot to learn from, but the biggest thing that I took away from CJ Stroud's performance is he has the mental toughness for a 19 year old kid to go in there on the road, night game, in the weather, missing some guys, which we found out about right before the game kicked off. I mean, you're a hero in my book. I know when I was 19 years old, granted, I wasn't an athlete like CJ Stroud, uh, like at his level, but to walk into an opposing stadium at night and like Minnesota had the stands packed. They were ready to go. That was very loud for a 50,000 person stadium. Um, you're right. He, he looked composed. He looked relaxed. He didn't rush anything. He just kind of let the game come to him. And after he got over some of the nerves, I think he did look good in the second half. You can tell that he's got arm talent. You can tell that when he's settled down, he is accurate. And he can make some special throws. The one to Olave where he's running across the field, and it just barely goes over the Minnesota defender. That was a great ball. And the one to Garrett Wilson, granted Garrett Wilson was wide open, but CJ hit him in perfect stride, didn't have to wait for it, didn't have to slow down, easy touchdown. So I like the arm talent. I loved his mental toughness. He could have folded after that first half. That first half was not good. They're losing on the road. He hadn't really gotten his playmakers involved yet. Uh, Somebody with less uh, mental fortitude could have just sort of packed it in and it could have gotten ugly, but credit to Ryan Day too. He stuck with him. Coach Day said that he had no thought whatsoever of going to a different quarterback. So I like what we saw there. He's going to get another test. It's not going to get any easier for him to begin his college career. But I like what we saw from C.J. Stroud, and I think that he will definitely learn and grow from this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, this team just has so many playmakers and so much explosive talent pretty much at every skill position that you just got to really put the ball in their hands and let them make plays. And that's really what C.J. Stroud did in the second half. He just has to be a point guard. Yeah, he didn't do anything super fancy. He just got the ball to guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and, and Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson, and you let those guys go and make plays. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to make the running, diving, Patrick Mahomes-esque playoff throw, uh, diving to the sideline. You just have to to make these plays. Ohio State's scheming, I thought, on offense after the first half. I thought there was some, there was some questionable play calling in the first half, and that didn't help CJ Stroud much. But in the second half, I thought it was just a, a master class by Ryan Day and that offense scheming guys open. I mean, like we saw in some of those throws, yeah. you know, Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave were like open by 10 or 12 yards on like every throw. So it was very good offensive play calling there and scheming. Yeah, Gene, I want to ask you about that since you brought it up, the scheme and Ryan Day just taking people to school, taking them to class in the second half. Do you think that that is part of the reason that it's hard to evaluate some of these recent Ohio state quarterbacks. Like we've seen Dwayne Haskins go to the league and basically be a bust. Is it almost a detriment to their development that Ryan day is so damn good at scheming his playmakers wide open? Cause that's what we saw last night. Um, granted CJ Stroud can make some great throws, but a couple of times he's just, he's throwing it in the middle of the ocean and his guy's the only one there. Do you think that Ohio state quarterbacks sort of get the benefit from Ryan Day and then it makes them even harder or it makes it more difficult to evaluate them as like professional quarterbacks. 
Yeah, I definitely do, and that's obviously a much a much larger discussion to be had. But you know, mm-hmm. I think we've seen you know a guy like Justin Fields, you could very, definitely tell he's super talented, and you know he could put the ball pretty much anywhere he wants. And a lot of what Ohio State was able to do on offense last year was Justin Fields' abilities. But you know, like last night, the, the, specifically the play that stood out to me was the Garrett Wilson touchdown because he was lined up in the slot, and then you have him one on one with a safety. And then all he had to, he made one Toast. cut to the outside and then cut back inside and the play was over. All CJ Stroud had to do was lob it up and it was an easy touchdown. So like yeah. things like that, you know, it, it pads the stats a little bit for the quarterback and it's just it's all on scheming. Like you just can't if you're an opposing defensive coordinator and you have a, a safety lined up in single coverage on Garrett Wilson, you're dead. Like it's just there's nothing you could do in that situation to stop a touchdown from happening. So yeah, it's, you, a lot of the offense is credited to Ryan Day, but. These guys he's had in there, you know, even Dwayne Haskins, who hasn't yet panned out in the NFL, was a super talented quarterback. We saw the kind of arm talent he has if he could just put it all together. So I think it's a little bit of a 50-50, and I do think it does make them at least harder to evaluate. But I still think that these are very good quarterbacks that he's coaching up, and you wouldn't be able to do these types of things if you didn't have this sort of quarterback and wide receiver talent that Ohio State has had. But, you know, as we as we talk about that wide receiver talent, we obviously move on to what we knew would be the best part of Ohio State's offense and what was the best part of Ohio State's offense last night. And that was their stud wide receivers in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Chris Olave finished the game with only four catches, but he had 117 yards and two touchdowns on those catches, so he definitely made the most of it. And Garrett Wilson had a very quiet five catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, which is pretty nuts. It, it, I don't remember, like, besides the touchdown, I don't really remember Garrett Wilson getting involved all that much, but he wound up with five for 80, so that's obviously another good night for Ohio State's top two wide receivers. Other than that, there wasn't really much to go around. Travion Henderson obviously had the one 70-yard touchdown on the little the dump-off pass. Jeremy Ruckert had one catch for 15 yards. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba had two catches for 12 yards. So it wasn't uh, the kind of wide receiver rotation that we would we expected to see kind of coming in where a lot of the younger guys got to play. There wasn't a lot of offensive possessions to be had, and we'll talk about how that was kind of Minnesota's game plan going in when we get to the defensive side of the ball. But I thought overall, you know, the receivers looked good. They made the plays they had to make. There was one play where Garrett Wilson dropped the ball. That wasn't the easiest catch in the world, but it's one that we kind of have grown to expect him to make. But other than that, you know, they made all the plays they really had to. Uh, They definitely helped out C.J. Stroud. They got open. They were, like we talked about earlier, they were open by like 10 to 15 yards on pretty much any given play when they looked to throw down the field, and it was all about just hitting them. So I don't think there's really a ton to dive into on the wide receivers. They were kind of as we expect them to be, and that's just elite. Yeah, I mean, we, we leaned on those guys. Ryan Day decided in the second half that he was going to make a more concerted effort to put Olave and Wilson in space and get them the ball deeper down the field. And obviously it worked out to the Buckeyes benefit and that's probably understating things, but yeah, Garrett Wilson, CJ Stroud threw a good ball to him early in the game. And granted it was sort of a diving um, catch attempt that Wilson tried to make, but you're right. He, We've seen him make that before, and he probably should have caught it. That was a good ball by Stroud, and he actually had another drop over on the uh, the right sideline. If you're you know looking at the TV on the right sideline, Stroud kind of scrambled out to the right side a little bit and threw it there on the sideline, and it was a very nondescript play. It, it made no difference in the game whatsoever. I think they got a, a first down a play or two later, but Wilson dropped one. You probably chalk that up to the weather and first game. You know, I I take nothing from last night with the exception of we have arguably the two best wide receivers in the country. And you're right. I would have liked to have seen some more variety, but the Buckeyes just weren't in a position to do that. We saw JSN in there. Jeremy Ruckert had a, a nice catch and 
run on a pass on a uh, like a crossing pattern, which sort of got me excited. And then we didn't see him the rest of the game, except for blocking, which he he did pretty well. But you would have liked to have seen a Julian Fleming or a Marvin Harrison Jr. or somebody else get in there. But when you're in a tight game against a conference opponent, you're not always going to have that luxury. So I come away from this game the same place I was before the game that we've got elite talent. And if you get the ball in those guys' hands, the game's going to be a heck of a lot easier for you. Yeah, those Ohio State wide receivers are the straw that stirs the drink. And one of my favorite parts of the broadcast was really early on, I think it was when Minnesota took their first lead, and the announcers were kind of talking about, you know, would Ohio State start to be panicking a little bit, like what's going through their heads? And then they cut to Chris Olave on the sideline, and he was like laughing at a joke or something, like just cool as a cucumber, like didn't clearly wasn't nervous at all, like they knew they were fine. So I just thought that, you know, that was kind of funny. And, you know, these guys, they know how good they are. They know how much talent they have. And when push comes to shove, they're, they're going to make big plays. But as we continue on here with kind of the skill positions, the position we did learn a lot more about was running back. Here we and go. Was, yep, this, this is, here we I'm go. sure a lot of Ohio State fans have a lot of takes about the running back room, but I think it was it was pretty painfully obvious what we saw out there that Ohio State has, has a clear running back tandem they could go to, and those two guys are Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Uh, no disrespect to anybody else in that running back room, but those two guys were clearly the most explosive guys on this roster. They were clearly the best fits. They they made the biggest plays. And to be a running like in this offense, to be a running back, you have to be able to not only take what this the offensive line was going to give you, which we will get to in a second. The offensive line was absolutely tremendous, but you have to be able to make a little bit more. Like if the offensive line is giving you five, you got to be able to get eight to ten. You, you can't just take the five and move on. And that's what guys like Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson were doing. Uh, they only combined for 11 total carries, which once again was a lot of just a Minnesota game plan, not giving Ohio State a ton of touches. But I, I would imagine that those numbers will drastically improve moving forward. I don't see those guys combining for 11 carries in many more games for the rest of the season. Mayan Williams finished with nine carries for 125 yards and a touchdown, and that obviously most of that was on his long 71-yard score in the first quarter. And then Trayvon Henderson had just the two carries for 15 yards, but he also had the catch and run on the little dump off for 70 yards where he really he showed off his speed and made everyone else look like they were running in slow motion. So those two guys were super explosive. I really liked what I saw from both of them. They were both able to make some really nice cuts. They both looked super athletic. They both knew what they were doing out there. Obviously, I'm the, I'm the, the king of the Mayan Williams hive. I love that he's going out there without the gloves. That's very fun. And just like Best watching look him, in the world. yeah, absolutely. And just watching him run, and like knowing that like he was a guy that wasn't really expected to do much coming to Ohio State, and now he's someone who could be the number one running back on the team is is very fun to watch, and it's super cool for him. And so I really loved watching those two guys play, and I'm I'm sure we'll get to watch those two guys hopefully take the majority of the snaps the rest of the way. We didn't see anybody else really besides them take any touches in the second half besides like garbage time. They gave it to uh, Marcus Crowley, but other than that, those were the two running backs they ran with in the second half, and I think that's that should be the game plan moving forward. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. I almost feel bad for the other guys. You know, MT3, he's a bruiser. He looks like muscle hamster back there, and but and when I'm done, you know, Gene, tell me if you feel the same way, but like when Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson were in the game, it just, it felt different. It felt like the potential for a big play was there. Like there was like an electricity or just like a certain expectation when those guys were in the game that we didn't see when other guys were, were out there. So I, I like what I saw from Mayan Williams. He is not the fastest guy in the world. His long touchdown run, it was great. He outran, he outran Minnesota's secondary, but let's not pretend that he was Chris Johnson streaking down. Like, he's not the fastest guy in the world. 
But yeah, he also he also admitted that that was the wrong play he ran. He was supposed to run <laughs> yeah. to the left, and he ran to the right, and it just it happened where Jeremy Ruckert laid a great block on the edge, and then he stiff armed one other guy, and then it just that was enough to propel him along the edge. But he said that was supposed to be a run to the left, and he made it into a counter that just happened to work out brilliantly. Yeah, the counter, whether it was intentional or not, when they ran it throughout the game, the counter worked. I, I wanted him to draw, to draw up a counter play every single time, it seemed like. But regardless, he looked a little bit quicker than I thought. Maybe not the fastest, but he looked quicker. He made decisive cuts. Uh, he had a nice little like half hurdle over a guy laying on the ground on one of his carries. And you alluded to it. He was He's always falling forward. He never ran up against that wall and got taken down immediately. He was always falling forward forward for an extra one or two or three yards so liked what we saw from him the no glove thing I mean when you've got a running back out there with the wrist straps and no gloves it's a perfect football player and Travion Henderson just looked like lightning out there um limited snaps we saw him return a kick in addition to his three touches from scrimmage but I think that we are going to see a ton more from him the the long catch and run that he had it it looked like he hit a turbo boost that nobody else on the field had I mean he was gone and I I saw somebody online maybe it was in like a response to something that that we posted from the channel but somebody suggested like a, a Reggie Bush Lendale White sort of thunder and lightning at USC and I don't know if I'm quite there if you remember Lendale White was a hoss he looked like a fullback or a middle linebacker out there. And Reggie Bush is arguably the most exciting athlete I've ever seen play college football. But uh, I'll, I'll indulge. You know, I, I hope that these guys could get to that level. I do think they'll be used in, in a similar way. You know, Trey only had two carries with the one catch. I think that he's going to catch some balls out of the backfield. We've talked about that on previous pods, too. Uh, He's got good hands. He played some receiver in high school. So loved what I saw from those guys and TBD on the rest. I, it's easy to look that good when you've got the line in front of them. I don't think that we're going to talk about the line much. And and that's sort of a good thing. There were no issues. They handled guys up front, but um, those guys also credit to them. They helped their backs in the backfield be a lot more productive as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said early on where, you know, no disrespect to Master Teague, but when the other two guys were in the game, it just felt like every time the ball was in their hands, there was home run potential. And with, right, you yeah. know, we, we've seen Teague hit some of those big home runs in the past, but it just doesn't feel like he has that that ability to just make that one extra move that would get those extra yards. Like, he's great. If you're if you're going in there and you're looking for six yards and the line's giving you six yards, he's going to give you those six yards. But it just felt like, you know, when the other guys were in there, the line would give them six and they'd get 12. So it's just it's just a different style of running back. The other guys just felt more explosive. And I don't think Teague is a bad back, but I just think what the other guys are able to do and the, the maximum potential that those guys have is a little bit higher than Teague's. And so I'd like to see you know them get the majority of the snaps. And who knows, you know maybe next week Master Teague comes out and rushes for 100 yards against Oregon. But for at, at least after that game, it looks pretty clear what the running back pecking order is. And so I'd like to see more of those two guys as we go. And I definitely want them to have more than 11 carries combined in every game moving forward. But you know, you said we're not going to talk about the line that much. I think we definitely got to talk about the line at least a little bit because they were awesome. And that's without their, if you would have told me that they were without their starting center, I wouldn't even have noticed. Like uh, Luke Whipler stepped up big time in place of Harry Miller. And then obviously you had the four tackles out there in that massive offensive line. We also saw a little bit of uh, five-star guard Donovan Jackson. They had him in there as an extra blocker once. I thought everyone was phenomenal. 
They didn't let up a single sack. I think they only let up one tackle for loss the entire game. And that's, you know, in 2020, they, they, we had let up at least one sack in every game, and they let up none last night in their first game of the season. So those guys were awesome. Some of the holes that they were opening in the in the rushing game was, like, ridiculous. Like, you could just, I could have ran through that for 10 yards. Like, it was absolutely nuts. So hats off to those guys. You know, obviously, like you say, you know, you don't really talk about the offensive line when they're good, but they were absolutely phenomenal last night. They're a, a big group of dudes. And they were just bullying people all night. And that's, you know, that's not a terrible, that defensive line for Minnesota wasn't terrible. Obviously, you know, the boy Mafe is, is a pretty good player. He didn't have any sacks. He, all he did, there was one play where he kind of tossed Dewan Jones to the ground, but he did it, you know, it took enough time where CJ Stroud still had time to throw. But CJ Stroud was really never in any danger. And the running backs didn't really look like they were ever in trouble of getting tackled behind the backfield. And it, pretty much every run play had a hole and every pass play was well protected. So hats off to the offensive line. I'm looking forward to watching those guys play for the rest of the season. And now it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if that, that center job opens up up between Luke Whipler and Harry Miller because Miller struggled last year and you know I didn't there was a couple yeah. bad snaps last night and that's to be expected from a guy that you know is, is playing center for the first time but he looked really good last night so that's another thing to look for in this line but overall I thought they were fantastic yeah the reason why I didn't have much to say about them is they just they went out and they dominated sort of like I expected them to um they looked like such a clean unit they haven't really played together especially in this alignment but they never seemed like they were on a different page. They were all in unison. You could have told me that Thayer Munford has been playing guard for the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, and I, I wanted to mention that too. Munford was awesome at guard. Really oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was moving dudes in the middle. And, you know, you mentioned Boye Mafe. He had the one hurry where he sort of, you know, kind of threw Dewan Jones back, which was surprising. But you don't know what the what was going on on the field or if he was off balance or anything like that because that was the only hurry or pressure that Ohio State gave up the entire game. Actually, they had one other. I'm looking now. Jack Gibbons had one, but that was likely a blitz from the linebacker position. It, I, it seemed like Minnesota's defensive line was just out there to like fill spots. Uh, they didn't really make any plays. You talked about it. They had one total... Uh, tackle for loss. And that was by Coney Durr from the secondary. So those guys up front, they just did their job. I think that they are going to be a strength. And I don't even, that's not surprising to say by any means, but what did surprise me is how good they looked together. They just, they looked like they were holding hands across the offensive line the entire game and just moving in unison together exactly where they wanted to go. So that was definitely promising. Yeah, and that and that's very good. You know, the fact that they were good across the line is is actually obviously important as they're going to play a very good Oregon defensive front next week, especially with Kayvon Thibodeau. So we'll obviously talk more about that next week. But that's good to see that offensive line gelling. And just before we get off the offense and move to the more interesting part of I think of last night's game with the defense, I just want to give a, a quick shout out to Jeremy Ruckert because even though he only caught one pass, I thought he was really really good in the blocking game. And that's something that's going to make him a ton of money in the NFL. You know, he's not going to catch 50 passes this year at Ohio State. It's just not going to happen with the way this offense works. But he was really good. He had some really key blocks on some big runs. You know, on the Trayvon Henderson run, he was basically running downfield next to him, just looking for someone to block because of how well that play was drawn up. But, you know, he had the big block that sprung Williams early. He had a couple other nice blocks on the inside and on the outside. So hats off to Jeremy Rucker for his job out there. A lot of that tight end stuff goes unnoticed when you're not catching passes, but I thought he looked really good last night in, in both phases of the game, including that one, you know, 15-yard catch yet. For sure. Yeah, he, um, he'll he be a prototypical Ohio State tight end that, that gets drafted, but his pass catching is going to put him in another level. And, you know, I think we'll see more of that as the season goes along. 
And uh, so that brings us to the defense. And oh boy, is there stuff to talk about on defense. Josh, where, where do you even want to start here? I don't, I don't, I could go anywhere. Honestly, I'm going to be more optimistic than I thought I would be. You know, I, I talked about it in the I'm, opening. I'm surprisingly optimistic about it too, but I just, it's a, it, there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, I just, I think it was a big ask from the coaching staff and the players to figure this thing out when you don't, you're not certain who your top five, six, seven guys on the unit are going to be. And sometimes that's because you've got so much talent in the room and they're all in experience. You're like, Hey, we got to start throwing things against the wall. Cause you know, if we had to rate them one through 100, this guy's practicing like a 99, but this guy's practicing like a 98. I, I think it's just tough to figure out. And we saw it in the first half, especially a lot of substitutions. We were, we were changing up like hockey lines out there and it, it didn't look great. Right. We were like, why the heck is this guy on the field? Why is this guy starting? Why is he, sli you know, why did he slide over to this position? I think the coaches were just willing to experiment and maybe it wasn't the time uh, against a team like Minnesota with that great offensive line, an experienced quarterback, and a, and a great running back as well. So I think we saw a lot of rotations that we will we'll see that uh, minimize. We'll see those rotations decrease in number, I think, as we get further and further into the season. The reason I'm going to be optimistic is because at every level, we saw guys play well. Now, they weren't always on the field at the same time, but, you know, I, actually the defensive line probably disappointed me the most because I think they were just average, but they're going against 100 years of experience and some big dudes on that Minnesota offensive line. So I thought they were just average. At linebacker, they looked out of place at times. They looked hesitant at others. They took bad angles. But when they really kind of settled in, I thought T. Mitchell looked good out there. He was trying to take heads off every time he got near the ball. Uh, he scared me a couple times. He was almost called for targeting. Another time, he kind of, it looked like a stinger. He got one like right in the shoulder neck area. He's, he just looked like a heat-seeking missile out there. He wants to go out and lower the boom. If he can control that, I liked what I saw from him. Cody Simon eventually rotated in. I thought he looked great at linebacker and Dallas Gant, you know, you, you look up and he had eight total tackles, which was third on the team. I think they'll settle on a rotation there. I think they'll settle on some guys. You need to put them out there at the same time. In the secondary, look, I saw all I needed to see from the secondary. Josh Proctor led the unit. He was all over the place. Um, I thought Ransom looked really good in spots out there. The fumble that he forced to pretty much ice the game great hit. I don't care what anybody else has to say. That was a great hit. And the cornerback showed me more than enough. Ryan Watts and Denzel Burke out there, did they make mistakes? Absolutely. They're young. They're inexperienced. It was their first time as starters out there. You know, Watts made the egregious pass interference. He had the, uh, you know, the, the penalty that saved a touchdown. Sometimes a guy knows when he's cooked and he's like, look, I'm cooked. I'm going to interfere. Oh, yeah. He, he me, fully tackled the guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but give me 15 yards over 60 for six. So, um, but other than that, I thought he looked good. We've talked about he's sort of a bigger dude. You can tell 
Like you get out there and he's all of six, three. He looks almost like, uh, almost like a cam. He's, he's not as big as cam chancellor, but cam chancellor was like a six, four DB. Um, so that height, you know, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. And then Denzel Burke, the PI in the end zone, I think that's 50, 50, that, that back shoulder, that kind of fade to the end zone. There's always fighting. There's always jostling. He got called once. I'll live with it. I think for their first time out there, they more than passed the test for me. Denzel Burke had three passes broken up and they were without uh, seven banks who I hope and I assume will get back sooner than later. So that's why I'm optimistic in a nutshell is it wasn't always together, but I thought at every level, guys looked really good in certain spots. So I'm going to give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt in what we see going forward. Where are you at? Yeah, I had kind of said in our preview, you know, we're not really going to get a full full idea of what this Ohio State defense is going to be based on one game. And I think you get even less of an idea when you're missing two of your starting corners and seven banks and Cam Brown. Uh, but obviously, we didn't know those guys would be out heading into the game. That was kept under wraps. And, you know, after the game, Ryan Day said that seven banks could have played in an emergency situation. So it sounds like he's a guy that will hopefully be available next week. We have a little less clarity on Cam Brown, but hopefully those two guys are back. And then, you know, Josh Proctor left the game late with an apparent shoulder injury. Hopefully that's just like a stinger and nothing serious because, you know, in my mind, there was there's really four guys on that defense that really, really stood out to me. Josh Proctor being one of them. I thought he was really awesome back there. I think that was one of his better games at Ohio State. It looks like he's kind of grown a little bit and he's not as much of a a boomer bust guy, although he did have one he did have one bad angle on a missed tackle that led to one of Muhammad Ibrahim's touchdowns. But he overall I thought he played great. He had the pick that got called back on a on a questionable roughing the passer call. He was it seemed like he was always in the backfield, always making plays. Um I thought Taraja Mitchell was awesome. He was probably our best linebacker. And then, you know, the one one B to his one A was Cody Simon. I think those are our two best linebackers when they were on the field. And then the fourth guy was obviously Haskell Garrett, who we knew going into the season was probably going to be one of their best defensive players. He had that, you know, that that nice bounce right into his hands on the fumble recovery, and he rumbled through the end zone for a touchdown. Haskell the rascal, as Gus Johnson called him. But <laughs> yeah, I thought those four guys really stood out. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, I liked what Colton Colton Denning, former uh, former Hang on the Holy Land podcast host, uh, put on Twitter that it looked like Ohio State was playing it like a week two preseason game where they're just playing literally everyone and seeing what they have. And that that really was the case. It was odd. We were talking about it a lot in our Slack or in the game. They were just they were rotating everyone and they were playing guys that was like, why are these guys playing? And, you know, obviously we don't know how much injuries and other things played into that, but it just seemed like there was a clear core group of guys on this defense that are good. And there's a clear core group of guys that aren't any good. And for some reason, like those guys were still playing late in the game. Like, I don't know how good steel chamber is going to be a linebacker. That's still, you know, the jury's still out on that, but for him to be in the game in the fourth quarter of a one score game is, is kind of troubling when it seems like, you know, you have Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon, who are both very, very capable linebackers. And, you know, you're playing all these other guys that maybe not, I agree with what you said on Denzel Burke. I thought, you know, for a freshman, he obviously had his, his troubles out there. First time starter, but, you know, I think I thought overall thrust into position, he probably didn't expect to be in a game one with all the injuries. That was he did quite a good job out there. Same with Ryan Watts outside the P.I. But like you said, you know, you'd rather take the 15 than the tutty. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of youth out there. I think we had seven of the 11 guys out there were first time starters. So there's a lot to like moving forward. Obviously, you're missing a lot of your best players. So you're hoping that those guys are back and healthy soon. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to really gauge how good this defense is because you're going against probably the best running, running back you'll play all year in Muhammad Ibrahim. And, you know, they weren't, other than the one long run he had on the fourth down, he really, he, I think he averaged under four yards per carry other than if you take out that big run. So they really didn't do that terrible of a job, especially given the, the rotation of linebackers that we didn't really know that much about. And then, of course, you know, the passing defense wasn't great, but you're missing your two starting corners. And that's, you know, that it's not not uh, not a small deal, you know, that they need those guys out there. Seven Banks was their best corner that they're going to have, and he didn't play. And Cam Brown is a guy that you expect to be really good, and he didn't play either. So you didn't really learn a ton. Um, but, you know, yeah, it needs to be health. I do agree with you that the defensive line was probably surprisingly like the, the most disappointing of the group because other than the Zach Harrison strip sack, they really didn't do all that much. And, you know, some of that could be accredited to the Minnesota running the ball a lot and running these quick passes. I thought PJ Flex's game plan was actually really good to just run the ball, yes. short passes, control the time o'clock, like just keep the ball away from Ohio State's offense. I thought that was a great game plan, and that's how we kind of said if Minnesota was going to win this game, they had to control the clock and run it, run it out, keep the ball away from CJ Stroud in that offense, and that's what they tried to do, and they did a pretty good job. So hats off to them. But yeah, there's a lot to a lot of positives to be taken on this Ohio State defense. I'm just hoping the coaching staff watched that game and is like, yeah, we should probably only play the good players from here on out and not stop playing the bad ones. Yeah, you have to hope and you have to think that they're going to do that going forward. I, I, I'm i not sure why the game plan was what it was, especially from the beginning. Like to see Tommy Eichenberg out there on the first play, I was like, whoa, okay, what's going on? Um, but they'll learn and they'll get better just like the players will. I, I still have confidence in those guys and you brought up the game plan. We're in total agreement. PJ Fleck called about a good a game as he could have, especially going for it um, on fourth down inside their own 30. That's that's putting them on the table, if you know what I mean. But it, it's really hard to get a gauge of what this defense is going to be because Minnesota didn't do what most teams are going to do. I would be shocked if Ohio State plays another team that runs the ball 50 times especially in this day and age. Um, you know, obviously there are times that teams that do it and Tanner Morgan still attempted 25 passes, but their game plan was wholly predicated on the run game. And then that run game forced Ohio State's hand into kind of doing what Minnesota's coaching staff wanted them to do. Ohio State had to put more guys in the box and with more guys in the box, the DBs are forced to, you know, to give a little bit more buffer because they know that they're going to be on an island. So it's just uh, very unique is not the right term for it, but it, it's unique in a sense that Minnesota was running an old school kind of game. And Ohio State will go against teams that are ex the exact opposite of that. You know, they're, when they go and they're going to play Purdue, Purdue's not going to line it up. And, and run it 50 times. So we'll see moving forward. I think that guys will grow into their roles. And you and I have sort of started to identify who we want to see on the field the most. Um, I, I think the thing, I was almost pleasantly surprised by the secondary though. I know that they gave up some passes, but um, what's the one kid's name? It's going to escape me, the receiver. Right, the transfer from A&M. The some of the catches that he made were great catches. He had really, really strong hands. He had one going across the middle where I think it was Ransom kind of batted at it, had his hand there. Dylan Wright held on to it. Um, 
the touchdown obviously was a contested catch. The hand should have been up sooner, but I thought the secondary for all intents and purposes looked better than I thought they would, especially compared to last year. You know, they didn't force a turnover. They had the pick that was called back uh, secondary wise. I know they had the fumble, but the, the secondary looked sound. And I thought that there was at least somewhat of a chance that Minnesota could go out there and you would see nothing but play action. And they would say, Hey, we're going to pick on these young guys in the back, but um, obviously they didn't, they stuck with the run for a lot of the game. And like I said, Minnesota made some good catches, uh, you know, credit to them. They had the, the tight end who had what, 40 yards. That's a linebacker thing. That's not necessarily the secondary that has that, the tight end running across the field wide open. So I thought those guys looked really good. And I think that once seven banks gets back, they can get even more creative in their alignment. You know, I could see a situation, somebody uh, responded to our question on Twitter, like hot takes. And I have to agree with the guy because I was thinking the same thing. I could see Proctor down at the bullet. You have Ransom as your single high safety, then Banks and Watt, Watt and Burke three traditional corners out there. I think they can experiment. This was just sort of getting a baseline for what the team is going to be moving forward. And I think what I saw, the good outweighed the bad. And so they'll be able to do this in a positive way. They'll be able to experiment in a positive way as opposed to, oh, shoot, we got to throw something different out there because this just ain't working. You know, I'd rather have options than desperation, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I understand like them wanting to kind of experiment in a game like this because they don't have like they play Oregon next week, and so you don't have like a game to really, you know, try stuff out. And I and, like they, I guess they really tried to do that in the first half, and they realized that they weren't going to be able to as much because Minnesota is probably a little bit better than they thought. But they knew at the end of the day they had the talent to win this game, even if it was going to be closer than they'd like it to be, just to try to test some things out on that defensive side, especially with all the guys that were out. Like you don't have. Like, if they would have gone Minnesota and then, say, Akron and then Oregon, they probably wouldn't have done what they did in this game. I think they would have saved a lot of that rotating and trying different guys out for the Akron game, but they don't have that buffer. They have to play, you know, a top-10 team next week when Oregon comes to town. So it's it's a tough ask, and they didn't really have a ton of game reps to give. So they tried to get them as much as they could in this first half, and then I think they, they did rely more heavily on the, the better players that we saw in the first half in the second half, but... Yeah, there's a lot of experimenting. I'm actually surprised looking at the box score that Ronnie Hickman led the team in tackles with 11. I feel like I didn't hear his name called at all, but I guess he did serve. He was around a lot, though. Yeah, he was definitely around a lot. He played well. I think he got the majority of the time at the bullet. Um, I'd like Mm -hmm. to see a little bit more of... uh, What's his face? I came in. Um, Craig, Craig Young. Young. Yeah, I like to see more Craig Young because I think he's a really good player. But I didn't think Ronnie Hickman played bad. You know, he had blood and tackles. I didn't see him miss anything. So I'm sure he was just quietly doing his job out there and doing a good, pretty darn good one. You know, right ahead of Taraji Mitchell, who had 10. But, you, know, uh, you brought up Craig Young. Was he out there at all? I don't think he was credited with a tackle. He wasn't credited with a tackle. The, I could have swore I saw him on like one or two plays. It's kind of it's tough around the year to like see who's out there because you don't know everybody's jersey number right away. So like there was some weird plays where it's like I don't even know who that is out there. But yeah, I think I think he was out there for maybe like I can't. He wasn't out there for more than like probably like ten snaps. But he wasn't. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I saw him out there. Um, who else would I, I want to talk about over there? I think that's pretty much it defense wise. Uh 
There was one weird play where I think uh, they had Zach Harrison standing up as a linebacker, so that was interesting. I like little different wrinkles like that. I don't, I don't know how fancy they wanted to get and show their hand against Minnesota, but, you know, he's a guy that's pretty big. I'm sure they have some different they, – they did the same thing with Chase Young where they'd kind of do that sometimes and have him stood up. So a guy yeah. that's kind of built similarly to Chase Young and has that huge stature like Zach Harrison has with that athleticism, you could do some fancy stuff like that because uh, Harrison's really good in the run game. So I did like to see that. That'll be something to, to look for moving forward. Um, we didn't get to see much of the true Rushman package, but going up against an offensive line like that, I, I last night was not the time to try that for the first time, I don't think. You know, we did see JTT and Jack Sawyer get out there for a little bit. I think JTT played more, but that was one thing I... I'm excited to see it, but I don't know when we're going to see it because Minnesota, I mean, they were running six, seven offensive linemen out there. And I, I know the one Jack Sawyer play, he had to go up against, uh, I want to say it's Talele, the 6'9", 380-pound guy. And look, Jack got eaten alive. Uh, he kind of got thrown down to the ground. But when you're going against a literal mountain, you know, you're, you're not going to come up across that every week. But that's one thing that I, I would have liked to have seen but I understand why we didn't. Yeah, that was that was the one thing. That was a good point. That was the one thing I wanted to bring up before we finished off the defense. That we the the freshman defense ends both played. It was actually surprising that it seemed like Tweem Allow definitely played more. He definitely played earlier. Jack Sawyer didn't come in for the first time until like midway through the third quarter, or at least early in the second half. And you know, uh, Tweem Allow was out there either on like the second or third drive. So they, I think they think he's probably better against the run, which is something you know you obviously have to to be good against playing a team like Minnesota. But yeah, he was out there pretty early, and you know, for a kid that only got on campus like a month ago. That's, that's pretty impressive. It shows how much the coaching staff has seen from him and trusts him. But I expect that we'll see, kind of like you said, this is a little bit of a, a different offense than you're going to see for most of the year. It's a very run-heavy offense. And so to have, I, I think that, you know, Jack Sawyer's strength is obviously rushing the passer and maybe Tweem Malau is more of the rush guy. But yeah, I'd like to see more of the rushman package moving forward. But yeah, you, you're 100% right. This wasn't really the game to deploy it. It wasn't, you weren't going out there, you know, if maybe if they had taken like a three score lead and Minnesota was forced to pass, you would have seen it more, but that never really was the case. Minnesota never really had to leave their run game. Um, and so that just really wasn't warranted in this game. But yeah, overall, I think, you know, there's a lot to like about the defense. There are genuine concerns. And if we don't fix some of those concerns, it's going to be, you know, a very similar year to last year where it's, you know, it's going to be a really good offense and an a average at best defense. But, you know, even if they're just super average, I think that's better than what we saw last year. So I think there's reasons to be optimistic for it. And there's also reasons to have worries. But I think, you know, once again, like we like we said coming into this week, we're going to learn a lot next week when they play Oregon. Yeah, I think that... I, I'm pleased with the overall outcome. I would probably give them, honestly, probably a B plus because I knew that we were going to have some issues on defense. But there are concerns for next week. Oregon is going to be or should be much better than they were last year. I mean, they're ranked number 11. Um, I, I'm especially concerned about our defense against Oregon's offense, although that wasn't their strength last year. We'll get into all of that later. I don't want to kind of take away from our preview show, but I'll just leave it at that. There are concerns next week. Not, I'm not overly concerned. I don't suddenly think Ohio State should be the underdog or that they're going to lose, especially a nooner at home, but we need to see building. We need to see improvement from week one to week two, and then we can get cute. Then we can throw some guys out there to have fun and get their reps and stuff like that. Week one and week two, throw your guys out there. And I think we're both in agreement on that. 
if we have the guys out there that played the best, we should be in a good spot. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, before, you know, I think that's a good, good amount of the game. So before we start to wrap up here, as we reach around the 45 minute mark, uh, we'll, we'll get to some of our, our Twitter replies. I sent out a, a tweet last night on the podcast Twitter account, which if you want to tweet at us next week or, you know, whenever you want, uh, it's at Holy Land Pod on Twitter. I was looking for some of your hot takes last night. So I'll read off a couple of these. And then at the end, we have, uh, we'll have two that I want to discuss, but there's a couple here that we kind of have already touched on. So to start off here, Joseph McCarthy says, not sure how hot this is, but with all due respect to Master Teague, sure feels like Williams Henderson needs to be an Ingram Kamara type of tandem sooner rather than later. And, you know, that's kind of what we talked about. I think that's what you were kind of alluding to before with the, uh, the, the Reggie Bush, Lindell Dixon, uh, kind of tandem. I think that we, we both kind of agree there that that's the better way moving forward. Uh, Ted Glover said CJ Stroud grew into the part tonight. We talked about that as well. You know, he did, you know, as the game kind of progressed, he did seem to get more comfortable and really look more of the Ohio State starting quarterback in the second half. And that's to be expected in a first time start. And then Ryan Nelson Kane said Trayvon Henderson is going to be an Ezekiel Elliott type home run hitter. And it does, you know, it, it does, it's, it's tough to compare anybody to Zeke because of how good he was at Ohio State. But it did, you know, he does have that that aura about him that just you feel like every time he touches it, it could go for six. And it's just, it's, it, I don't know how to quantify that, but it's just a special trait to having a running back of that stature. And obviously Henderson is a much higher rate to recruit than Zeke was. But, you know, if, if he turns into the next Zeke, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, he they're not physically built the same, although Travion Henderson's not a small guy. Zeke was, you know, looked or appeared very thick and very stout, but the speed is there, and Zeke was always known as a runner, but uh, he had a great pair of hands, too. So I I didn't think of that comp, but I like that comp. Uh, I gravitated more towards the Reggie Bush, but I was willing to say he's not that sort of athlete. So maybe, uh, you know, our, our guy who responded there, pulled me back in a different direction. I actually like that Zeke comp a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, so now we're going to the the Mike Mike Hermanson gave us two two questions that I like. So I'll I'll pose them to you and then I'll I'll give you my take as well. The first one is does Harry Miller get his job back? And like we kind of alluded to earlier, Luke Whipler started at center. I don't really they didn't really give a reason for Harry Miller being out. I imagine it was, you know, somewhat of an injury related thing. Uh, you know, we don't want to speculate on anything else, but uh, I, the line looked really good. And, you know, Luke Whipper played really well outside of maybe like two or three bad snaps, but it didn't cost him anything. It wasn't really impactful in the game, and the line really seemed to gel with those five guys out there. So do you think this becomes a legitimate, like, position battle at center now moving forward? Man, that's a tough question. I think that maybe we see Whipler hold on to the job until he has a bad game, until he struggles with the snap, because now what you've got is a one-game sample size where your entire unit worked really well together. So do you want to remove one of those components when you don't otherwise have to? So, um, you know, there was nothing special about Whipler's performance to me that stood out at, you know, not that I'm watching the center a whole lot, but there were no mistakes that I saw either. So, yeah, I mean, I could see him holding on to that job until he gives the coaches a reason to take him out of there. Yeah, and I like that you said that because that's really the big thing with the O-line. Like we've, we've talked about a couple of times, you don't really get noticed on the offensive line unless you're specifically messing up and it's painfully obvious. And there were times last year where Harry Miller was making those mistakes and it was painfully obvious that he was, you know, it was his his assignment that was missed or he missed the block or something like that. And, you know, we didn't see really any of that from Luke Whipler. Like we said, there were no sacks last night. There weren't 
all that many hurries. So the whole line played well, and he didn't make any mistakes outside of a couple snaps that didn't, they weren't awful snaps. Not like he snapped it over CJ Stroud's head and went back 15 yards. It was just, you know, maybe it bounced or was a little bit low or whatever, but it was still not a huge deal. So I kind of tend to agree there until he, you know, shows that he doesn't deserve the job. I don't see why you wouldn't keep him out there. He's earned his spot with the ones. He obviously, the the coaching staff talked a lot about him in the offseason, how well he had progressed. So I would not be surprised to see him out there next week for starting against Oregon, even if Harry Miller is ready to go. Um, and then the second question here, I kind of relate to this, two tweets about this, uh, and I have, I think it's a good way to wrap up, and it's something that's on a lot of people's minds. And so Mike's second question is, not a hot take, but does Combs make it to next year? And that's in relation to our, our own Brett Beely's tweeted at us and said, I'm not sold on Kerry Combs. Feels like he peaked when he went to the NFL to be part of Mike Vrabel's staff in Tennessee, and I'm not sure he could regain the magic from his first stint in Columbus. And so obviously, Kerry Combs is a very good defensive backs coach, and he's an incredible recruiter. But his his chops as a defensive coordinator are definitely worth questioning. And, you know, it's not not against him. He's just, It's something he's never done before. And with how bad Ohio State's defense looked last year, and, you know, not still, they let up over 400 yards to Minnesota in Game 1, and, you know, we've talked about why some of that may be. But if there's no improvement as this team moves forward, I think Ohio State does legitimately have to consider making changes on that coaching staff. And, you know, you need... A good defense coordinator, if you're Ohio State, you need to be able to play defense. That's how you win championships. It's why they let up 50 points last year to Alabama. The coaching on the defensive side was really, really bad. And so, you know, obviously, you can't really take much from 2020 in the COVID year. They didn't have time to practice. They didn't have time to do all this stuff. But if it looks the same in 2021, I don't see how they go into 2022 with Kerry Combs still in that position. And whether they, you know, they move him back to a defensive backs coach, whether he'd be willing to do that is another story entirely. But what do you think just overall of... Kerry Combs and this defense? I think that's a really loaded question. You know, first and foremost, I am, I'm not making excuses for Kerry Combs. I was just as disappointed in their performance last year, if not more. Um, I thought it was borderline embarrassing to have, especially a pass defense of that bad, but pandemic. 122nd in the country out of 127. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to justify it, but my thing with Combs is Let's give him some time during a real sort of season, if that makes sense. Game one, mixed reviews, but we've got to give him time. We've got to let him identify him and the other coaches, identify the guys that they want out there. So, you know, I'm not going to say the sky is falling yet. They do need to get a lot better. I don't even want Ohio State to be a top top. 60 or 70 defense. I, they need to be inside the top 50. There have been seasons where they're top 10, top 20 defenses. So I'd love to see them gravitate back towards that. But I, I'm willing to give them some time. But if it's anywhere near a repeat of last season and they don't show considerable improvement, sure, uh, I'm willing to look elsewhere. You just you hate to lose a recruiter like that. And you know, if I'm just like throwing out a hypothetical, if the season doesn't go well and they go to Kerry Coombs and say, hey, look, we want to keep you around. We'll, we'll keep you around as the co-defensive coordinator. You know, he knows how that really looks. And, you know, maybe there's a spot for him in Cincinnati. Maybe he's OK. Look, I, I appreciate it. And uh, maybe I'm going to go join Luke in Cincinnati. So I don't know. You want to hang on to a guy like that. But it needs to get better. I, I won't deny that. And if it doesn't, I think that they would be forced to look in a different direction to, if not replace, supplement 
that position. And then who knows what that does to, um, you know, the, the staff as a whole. Yeah, it's definitely tough because, you know, this is a guy that's had, you know, a couple stints at Ohio State. Now he's a guy that's very well liked around the program. But, you know, I think even he at the end of the day could, you know, I think he's smart enough to realize that if the defense isn't working for two years in a row that, uh, you know, there's an issue there. I don't think he would feel, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for him. I I don't know if he would feel super slighted if they asked him to kind of take a step back and brought someone else in. But, you know, that's a... He seems to love it here, though. So he may be like, you know what, I get it. I'm on board. He did, he did come back from the NFL specifically to take this Ohio State job, so there is something to that. And you know, this is you know, we'll, we'll, we have a long season ahead of us. We'll have a, a lot of talks about this defense if it doesn't improve. But for now, I think it's a legitimate thing to take a look at. Um, and I think that's really most of what we have from this game at this point. I'll just read a couple other tweets here. Nothing to really break down, but just some comments from the fans. Zeke's beard on Twitter said the defense is closer than you think, which I think you know both of us kind of agree with. Uh, Tim Endley said Minnesota's a good team, but the Buckeyes have a lot of work to do before next week's game against the Ducks, which, you know, is luckily they have an extra couple days to prep. So that's that's good. I'm sure they'll be well prepped for that game as, as, as to the best of their abilities, to the best of their health, especially on the defensive end. Um, Ohio Slape says, I personally think the Buckeyes are a very talented young team. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I did. So sorry. Very hot take. Very hot take. And, uh, you know, I think that's more or less it. A lot of people, you know, concerned about the defense, a lot of Kerry Combs questions, a lot of, you know, running back rotation questions that we kind of address. So overall, I think Ohio State fans are, are feeling okay. You know, there's there's still questions, but that's to be expected after one game played in, in a weird opener. Um, but I'm, I'm overly, op- I'm pretty much optimistic about this team. I don't think there's a ton that can't be fixed, any of the problems that they had. You know, I think this offense is going to be very good. I think they're going to have one of the most explosive offenses in college football, which is the receiver and running back talent they have, and C.J. Stroud continuing to get better as the year goes on. So that's kind of my my closing thoughts on things. Hopefully that we get uh, hopefully Banks is back next week. Hopefully Brown is back next week. I'm hoping that Proctor is okay. We haven't really heard any word on his injury. Also, shout out to Muhammad Ibrahim. Hopefully, you know, whatever. I don't know if they've formally announced what his injury was. We heard some talks that it was an Achilles, but he's a very fun running back to watch. He was awesome last night. He is that dude. He will be playing on Sundays. So if he is seriously injured, you know, get well soon. Hopefully he's not out for the year. I'd like to see him continue to play. I think that Minnesota team could be really fun, and he's obviously their engine there. So, uh, you know, speedy recovery to him, whatever his injury was. He left the game late and didn't come back. He was in a boot late. So uh, I'm hoping it's not that serious because he's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, any any other closing thoughts from you, Josh, on this game? No, other than you you brought up uh, Money Mo as they called him. Best wishes to him. Um, I'd love to see him come back and run for 200 yards against somebody else. He's a talented dude. Um, so uh, again, hopefully he is, uh, is able to get back and play. Sounds like it could be sort of serious, but, um, we know how Twitter doctors are. We'll wait till we hear the real news, best wishes to him. And and that's all I have to kind of close it out. Yeah, for sure. So we will be back with you guys uh, next week to preview Oregon. We'll be on a much more normal schedule with our publishing and such, with the game being on Saturday instead of Thursday. Very inconsiderate for Ohio State to play on a Thursday and not consider Land Grant Holy Land's publishing schedule. But alas, here we are. Um, you get a you get a stress free weekend of football this Saturday. Hopefully, enjoy. Oh yeah, that's what we want. Uh, we'll do that I guess quickly before we sign off here. Is there anything any game specifically you're looking forward to, Josh? It's a very very good week one slate in college football this weekend. Uh, without going over the entire schedule, I've got it in front of me. There are a ton of good games, but the ones that I would just quickly identify Penn state, Wisconsin, just from a big 10 perspective. I'm excited about that one. Uh, I'll probably, if I can find it, tune into the Oregon game because I want to see what they have, uh, with Anthony Brown, see if they're going to be legit or not. 
but I, I think it's primarily about the the seven thirty game tomorrow night, Georgia and Clemson in Atlanta. No, it's in Charlotte. I'm sorry. Um, that's the game that I will be dialed in on. The good news is there are good games at noon and three thirty and seven thirty and probably ten o'clock. So I have uh, you know told my family, friends, and significant others not to expect a whole heck of a lot from Josh tomorrow. How about you, Gene? Yeah, Saturday is a tremendous day to sit on the couch and do absolutely nothing but watch probably a lot of bad college football, but there is a lot of good games, at least on the schedule. Like you said, obviously, the biggest game of the weekend is Georgia-Clemson. Uh, I'm not really sure that matters in terms of the playoff, because I think even if the team loses that game and then sweeps the rest of their schedule, especially if it's Clemson, who has a very easy schedule, I think both of those teams can still make the playoffs, but that'll be a fun you know, early top five matchup to watch. Uh, like you said, Penn State-Wisconsin. If Wisconsin wins that game, they're probably going undefeated. They also have a very easy schedule, so that's pretty important in terms of the Big Ten West and the Big Ten at large. Uh, I'm looking forward to Indiana-Iowa. That's going to be an interesting game to see if Indiana can kind of recreate some of that magic from last year. That's at 330. That's at Iowa. So, you know, Iowa's favored by four points in that game, which is kind of interesting. If you're a betting man, I think that, you know, Indiana plus points is a good good uh, angle there, but it is at Iowa, and we all know how tough it is to play there. Um, I think there's a good chance Louisiana beats Texas straight up, and Texas is nine-point favorite, so that's a weird line to me. I don't think Texas can be very good. And then, yeah, like you said, at night, you got you got that on Sunday. You have Notre Dame-Florida State. It's another kind of interesting game. I don't expect Notre Dame to be very good this year, but Florida State is also Florida State. So it's a good slate. We've got games from Thursday to Monday, which is always fun. That's a great, you know, every day you have something on, even if it's not the best game in the world. But, uh, yeah, it should be a really fun weekend for college football, and I kind of like when Ohio State – plays either an earlier game or is off because you get to just watch everything and not have to stress any of the games and you can just enjoy the rest the, the craziness that is college football uh you know last night we had at the end of after Ohio State ended you had the UCF Boise game where UCF came back and it's just, it's just great to have football back you know it kind of feels like fall I don't know what the weather is by you but it was like a little cooler out today a little mm-hmm. crisp in the air even though it was probably like 70 it still just felt like it was more now that football's back it just feels like fall and I just can't wait to get into the rest of the schedule yeah, it's it's a good point you bring up to have Ohio State done and over with, freeze it up to just, you know, be an absolute waste to society and just have the remote and go from one game to the other to the other looking for the good action. There's a couple uh, decent games tonight too. North Carolina's in action. So it, it does feel great to have football back, but specifically college football and even more than that big 10 football you know i get it it's our brand but it was just so different last year even when i would turn on an sec game and i would see a bunch of people in the stands the fact that we're going to get a full slate this weekend of a ton of packed stadiums and you know it's not the common fan it's going to be students in the building making the noise and stuff like that all across the country that's the best part about it. It seems like college football again. And honestly, I'll take that any day over probably anything else. Give me all the college football you got. It's great for them to be back. Cannot help but agree. So like I've alluded to, uh, we'll be back next week for our Oregon preview. I'm excited to get back in the shoe. First time fans will be back in the shoe since 2019. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, We'll have a lot to break down in that game. One of the biggest games in Ohio State's regular season for sure.
Um, you can follow us at Holy Land Pod on Twitter if you want to, you know, hit us up with some questions for that game. We're always going to put out a tweet after the games for some hot takes like we did today. So be sure to get yours in next week or before we record our preview, which we'll probably probably record the preview sometime on Monday or Tuesday. So if you want to get some questions in for that, be sure to tweet at us. And uh, yeah, so until next time, I am Gene Ross. That was Josh Dooley, and this has been Hangout in the Holy Land. We will see you guys next week.